Um, but as you think of Jesus Christ, I want us to remember the fact that um, he was given a task while he was on earth. Obviously, we know that, but um, just as a reminder, he was giving this, given this impossible task to give up all of his rights as God, to go and live in a foreign body and take on flesh. And then on top of that, to empty himself out was one thing. But then he says, I also want you to save the entire human race. But I don't want you, to, I don't want you just to save the entire human race. You need to save the entire human race before time ever existed and after time will exist and everywhere in between. And I think that's a weird concept for us to get our minds around, but that, that's, the, that's, the what, that's the real um, issue here. He says, I want you to save it from beginning of time to the end of time, outside of time. You will be the one that will change the trajectory of the human race. Everyone must know your name. In order for that to happen, we have to know who Jesus is. Um, we have to know what he's about. And then he says, I want you to also usher in a new kingdom where God is king. And I want you to break the silence, and I want you to come in and do it in a way that people respond and who you are. Oh, and by the way, um, the plan is going to basically be that you need to accomplish this before the age of 34. <laughs> and I think of my life, and I think of um, those, th- those things in my life by, that I accomplished by the age of 34, uh, <laughs> and I kind of go, ooh. Uh, I didn't do so well. Uh, if I think of my own life, or maybe if you think of yours and, and, and what you've wanted to accomplish and what you did accomplish in the first 34 years, for those who aren't there yet, kudos, you get, a, you get a new shot at this. For those who are younger than us in the room, who are yet to see 34, and you're like, oh, 34, that's a long way. That's so old. Um, thank you for that. Um, but also know that as you head to 34, right, um, that there are a lot of things that maybe you want to accomplish, and Christ... Uh, had that as well. He, he was going to accomplish all of this by the age of 34. And during those 34 years, the question that I want to ask this morning that Jesus was going to ask, which is crazy to think of the Son of God needing to ask this question. But the Son of God asked the question, who will be the names that go with me in these 34 years? And I want you to think just for a second, just to make it practical for yourself. Think of the names that were part of your story for the first 34 years of your life, Right? Could be mom, could be dad, could be stepdad, could be grandpa, uncle, whatever. Um, it could be friends in elementary school. You know, do you remember any of those close friends that you had in elementary school? Mine was Josh, and he was a best friend for most of my growing up elementary school. Didn't go to my school, but lived down the street, and we hung out a ton and jumped BMX bikes, and it was the best. Uh, and then going to middle school and high school, and there's some names that kind of ring out in middle school, high school for me. Uh, one of the names that was, uh, one of the big ones was Kenny, and uh, he was one of these kids that was got, always got picked on the bus, and I honestly did as well, uh, until we actually started to become friends, and then we were like, oh man, this is actually a good thing, and he became really a solid friend for me throughout the years. And then you think later into your 20s or college age, and those friends that maybe you found during your, your years of college or in the workforce at 20, and, and those guys you, you went to the bar with or whatever, and you just remember who they were, and they're just really good friends. Like, you know what I mean? They were just kind of there, they're there for you. They were part of that world in, in, in your 20s or 30s, whether you knew Christ or didn't know Christ. And they just were part of your, your, your journey. And I think of those names, and I think of Christ, and you think of the names listed in his life for the first 30 years, and you look at his first 30 years, and there's not many names listed with the, with the relationship with Jesus Christ. You think of Uncle Zachariah, Aunt Elizabeth, you think of Cousin John, who was a little bit crazy, uh, and you think of Dad and Mom, and you kind of think, man, he didn't really surround himself with too many other people outside of his just immediate family until the age of 30. And then at age 30, 
he starts his, what we call earthly ministry. And this has happened right after the baptism and temptation. And now he starts to begin his ministry and he starts to figure out, okay, now I've really got to get serious. And he's going to accomplish, this is crazy, he's going to accomplish all that he needs to accomplish on planet earth in three years. Isn't that crazy? Three years. We get bent out of shape as a church plant. I do get bent out of shape as a church plant pastor. You know, I think sometimes you think, oh man, four years and it's gone so by so fast and where are we and what are we doing and what's the next 10 going to offer us? And, and we get all bent out of shape about all this timing and things and yet Christ looks at us and he's like, I can accomplish it in three I didn't worry the first 30 that I was on a deadline. Can you imagine that? Like the son of God, if we were given the task and you're 16, 18 years old and you're kind of like, I got to get on this. I got to get on this. I only got till 34. The dude was relaxed and calm all the way up to 30. And then he's like, I got three years. It'll be fine. I'll get through it. And his plan A, and this is even more crazy to think of the son of God. His plan A was to gather a group of men around him, share what he wanted to share with them, and then they would be responsible to carry on what he shared with them after three years' time, share that information with them. They would carry it then for the rest of their lives and change the world. And you think, God himself, why would he need men around him? Couldn't he just do it himself? But God's plan A was, God's plan A is making disciples. If if you get nothing else out of this morning, God's plan A hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, right? We say around here that we exist to develop sacrificial and authentic followers of Jesus Christ who intentionally make him known. We've said that since the beginning. That's been kind of our mantra since we started. It's our mission. It's, It's why we exist. And we believe those key words are important, sacrificial, authentic, and intentional. And even this year, we've said we want to be intentional as a community Bible church in how we do ministry. And so you see that even in some of the things that um, our small groups even right now are a little different than most, right? Because we, we've kind of shrunken the number and we've kind of gotten larger in the groups. I think this last week there was like 16 in one, 14 in another. It was ridiculous. And, and we said we, wanna, we, we, don't, we don't always want to be that big. That's not our goal is to be these large groups. But our goal is to be intentional and healthy and the fact that we raise up more leaders, And this year alone, we've seen more leaders come out of the woodwork to say, I would love to lead a community group one day. I think that'd be fantastic. I would love to do that. And so we're giving opportunities to them to kind of sit in these places, learn how we do it, and then to hopefully branch out and have more small groups as a result because it's an intentional way of doing it. It's disciples making disciples. And so we, we start with the, God, the, with the fact that God's plan A is making disciples. So let me just kind of give you a good definition, I believe, of what a disciple is. Um, a couple, I think it was last year, we were in a community group leader meeting, and I'm just going to tell on them because uh, I can, and I have a microphone, and they don't. Um, and uh, we were sitting in the meeting, and, and I said, hey, hey, guys, all the community group leaders were in the room, and I'm like, hey, give me the definition of what is a disciple, and I'm thinking, it's going to be awesome. We've been at this like two years. It's going to be great. They're going to know this. They're going to nail it. And I, I, I said, I'm just going to give you guys each a piece of paper. You put out what is a disciple on that piece of paper and just give it back to me. And I'm like, they are going to nail this. It's not hard. It's easy. It's one, two, three, right? And I get the papers back and it's like, you know, 
it was, it was all over the board. I'll just put it that way. I mean, there was like, a disciple is this, they kind of have this, they should have a beard. I mean, it was just kind of all over the place, like what a disciple is. And I'm like, ah. And I had like a Jesus moment, I think, in many ways where you're kind of like, two years, right? But I'm like, okay, that's on me. Maybe I've not been clear enough. Let me just kind of put it out there. So let me put it out there for you, Community Bible Church. What is a good definition of a disciple? And we're going to stick with this until Jesus' return. Um, so here's, here's the deal. Um, Jesus says this in Matthew 4.19. This is where we get our definition of what a disciple is. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We said a good disciple follows Jesus Okay, that's with his head, right? Our, our small groups are built around these three questions of head, heart, hands. It's an intentional knowledge following of Jesus Christ. You acknowledge who he is. This leads to conversion as you know more about him, but this is all head knowledge. I follow Jesus. A disciple follows Jesus. A disciple is transformed by Jesus. He says, and I will make you, okay? And this is the heart, right? So we've got the head, I will follow you. A good disciple follows. A good disciple is transformed by the making them into. And then lastly, he says, you fishers of men, which is the hands, right? So that means that a good disciple lives on mission, Okay, so a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who follows Jesus, is being transformed by Jesus, and lives on mission for Jesus. Okay, so those are your three. Community group leaders, you want to know that. For those who are like wanting to be community group leaders, just memorize it before they do, and you'll be like, sweet! You know what I mean? You're like, look what I did. I beat you. Um, that's awesome. We love competition around here. That's fantastic. Okay, um, so... A good disciple follows with Jesus with his head, is being transformed by Jesus in his life, and lives on mission. And we all in this room are probably at way different stages in this journey of discipleship. And all of it goes back down to the idea of making a disciple. And so, with that background, let's go to Mark chapter 3. And we get a reading of what this idea of discipleship is all about. We get the names of the disciples in Mark chapter 3, 13 to 21. And he, this is Jesus, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, it says, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boragnus, and that is Sons of Thunder. That's my favorite. If I had two boys, they would be named Sons of Thunder. They wouldn't even have regular names. They'd just be called Sons of Thunder, and they'd have to share it wherever they went. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And then verse 20 to 21, this is awesome. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could, uh, so that they could not even eat. So many people pressing in. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. He's crazy. Okay. So he points 12 and the people think he's crazy. Perfect sense, right? And so as you think of this idea of the disciples, there are a bunch of these different names. And some of these names have different names than what you read in some Gospels and chapters. So, for instance, one of these guys has three different names. Uh, I was watching Ohio State last weekend when they were playing Indiana, and there was one of the uh, players that played for Indiana that was known as Whopper. 
Uh, and somebody called him WAP because he ate so many Whoppers when he was a kid. Uh, and so he had this kind of a nickname of WAP. And so there's some of these kind of things that have the same nickname. So there's nicknames that are given to disciples. And so sometimes you'll read one somewhere and it's somewhere else, something else. And you'll, you'll, you'll see that in a second. But um, all of this to say that each of these 12 had a unique personality. And each of these 12 were called by God. Now, quick rabbit trail here. If you look in the Gospels, okay, so we're going to kind of divvy out, just, just sidetrack just for a second. As you look at all the different Gospels, there are different accounts of the calling of the disciples. And you can look at these things and say, well, which one was it? Did he call them here and they left everything? Did he call them here and they didn't? Did he call them here and he called them apostles? When did, he, when did he pray for them and call them disciples? When was all this happening? And I tend to agree with a pastor um, Called, his name is John MacArthur, but he says this. He says, I think the stages look like this. And so he gives the first stage in John chapter 1, 35 to 51. And this is the call by conversion to the Lamb of God. This was the call specifically to those who were following John the Baptist. There were four who were following John the Baptist that we are aware of. And they leave John the Baptist to go to find Jesus. But they're called by conversion. But it didn't, doesn't seem as if in the, first, in the first calling that they left their full-time jobs or did anything crazy like that. They just kind of followed Jesus for the first initial calling, called by conversion. They believed in who he was. And then in Luke chapter 5, 3 to 11, they're called to ministry. And as they're called to ministry in Luke uh, 3 and also 6, they're called to ministry, but uh, they leave everything at this point and they follow who he is. They leave their jobs, they've left their nets, it says, and they follow Jesus. And then you have the passages in Matthew 10, 1 through 4, Luke 6, and Mark 3. And this is where you start to then see that they are not only called by conversion, called to ministry, they are called apostles. They are anointed. They are, they are given the calling of the inner 12. They're given the official title of apostle. They've given, they've given business cards. I'm like, here's, here's your card. Here's your card. Here's your card. You know, I'm now an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we kind of read in all of these. And the key is here that he called them. It doesn't, don't get caught up in, in the, the, the sections as far as timing. Get caught up in the fact that he called them. He set this up. His plan was making disciples. And we still follow his same plan, knowing that when we make disciples, we are called by Jesus Christ to follow him with our heads, to be transformed, and to live on mission for Jesus. And as we are called to follow Jesus, I believe it is true that there are, there are two key things that we follow Jesus with, identity and personality. And we're going to talk about this just for a little bit this morning and kind of this section of, of, of uh, the disciples. So I believe this, when, when we are saved, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he changes us. I believe our identities are changed and are secured by Jesus, Okay. I believe that wholeheartedly, and I'll explain that in a second. And then I also believe that not only our identities are changed, I believe that our personalities are given and mobilized by Jesus, but they remain the same. Your personality is who you are. It's, it's, it's DNA. It's kind of all part of your thing. And I believe you're going to see part of your personalities even in heaven, but even better, like the best parts of your personality, not the worst parts of your personality in heaven that are just amplified. Because I believe our identity changes, our personalities remain the same. And this is all a calling, which is where we're going to be landing today, and that is this. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we exchange our identity but retain our personality. Let's put it that way. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we exchange our identity but we retain our personality. 
I think sometimes if you've grown up in church or you've been outside of church for a while, you believe that like, I mean, I don't want to go to church because it's just like this cookie cutter thing, right? If I go to church long enough, I start drinking the Kool-Aid and then all of a sudden I start looking and acting like everybody else. And I, I don't want that. I need to be an individual. I need to be who I am. I need to be who I'm called to be. And, and I think there's nothing further from the truth. I think our identities change, but our personalities can remain and, and, and do remain the same. This is great news because while the, the identity of the disciples changed even, when they accepted their Christ as their Savior, their personalities remained. So let me unpack this for a second with some scripture, and then we'll look at the 12 personalities of the disciples, okay? So let me talk about this idea of identity and personality, and then we'll unpack the disciples. So let's take just a second and explain this identity versus personality, okay? Let's kind of define that, because in our culture today, um, I think there's a big, big movement. Obviously, you know it. Uh, there's this big movement towards identity, right? What is my identity? Who am I? Is a really big question, you know? Especially within politics and things like that, there's this big movement about what we can and can't say, who we should and shouldn't call people, and this whole idea of identity. So let me kind of break this down and, and kind of explain it. So Chalmers Dictionary, this is the 20th century, this is like the old school dictionary. We're just breaking things, don't worry about that. Um, uh, 20th century dictionary, this is the old school dictionary, says this, identity is a state of being the same or sameness, okay? It's the idea of something that remains constant, okay? It's part of our life, but it remains the same. And then in personality, it says this, fact or state of being a person or being personal, individuality, distinctive character. So identity has this like, no matter what, all humanity can share a identity. All humanity is same and similar in identity. Personality is the unique thing that God has gifted to you that is unique to you. Okay? Even you, your own personality, to which your friends and spouse will probably elbow you and be like, Listen, because that's you. Your personality is weird, okay? Um, but, but that is who you are. Now, let's go to a modern definition. This is interesting. In the modern definition, it says, identity is the state of having a unique identifying characteristics. Identity has changed in our modern definition because now it's saying, no, it's now a unique identifying characteristics. There's not a sameness anymore in humanity. There's unique clarifying things that make you who you are, but it's not static and it's not standard and it's kind of made up as you go along. It's kind of interesting. The identity has shifted and changed in our culture, especially in, in the Western side. Personality, the sum total of all the behavioral, this is great. You can tell that psychology got a hold of this. So uh, they, they define personality as the sum total of all the behavioral and mental characteristics by means which an individual is recognized as being unique. Now, you see what happens with identity and personality. Both have this word unique in them. There's no more sameness. There is no more broad scope of identity as a human being. It is now unique. There are specific things that each individual and their identity can change. I believe that the Bible says something a little differently, and it's probably more towards the old school, and that is that identity remains the same. Your identity in state of being the same and sameness is part of what the scripture calls being human. And it also talks about the idea of having sin when we are born into a sinful state. That is your identity. You are born, and this is again countercultural, but let me just kind of put it out there. You are born an enemy of God. Your identity from birth is an en- is enemy of God. You are born sinful. And a lot of people are like, you can't say that. That's why the church gets in trouble all the time. Is they say all that stuff. It's not true. 
It is true. The Bible points us again and again and again towards the state that you are born into depravity. You are born a sinner. We don't have to teach our kids to be devils. I mean, we don't have to teach them to be uh, dumb. We don't have to teach them to make stupid mistakes. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. They do that all on their own quite well, especially around age three. It's like the whole like universe collapses in on them. They're like, oh, I'm the center of the world. You know that, right? And they tell you without any uncertain terms, they are the center of the world. And unless you bow to their needs, you will, you will pay. You will pay. You'll pay at the grocery store. You'll pay uh, at the nursery. You'll pay at pickup. You'll pay at church, right? Like, my kid's fine. And then you get them to church and they're like, and all these people are like, yeah, well, it must be the parenting. Just terrible parents, right? (laughs) And we just start to judge each other because that's what we do. We do it well. Because that's kind of the natural inclination of our hearts is bent as an enemy of God. We are born into an enemy state of God. And when we are saved, our identity changes. Christ says this again and again. I'm going to give you some scriptures here in a little bit. But our identity changes. Your personality remains the same, but our identity from sinner is now into saint, and we are now part of who Jesus is. Identity is not self-made, although we as a culture are really trying to make it that way. Let me say that again. Uh, Our identity is not self-made, although we as a culture are really trying to make it that way. One of the leaders of the um, transgender movement out of Brown University, which is a big hot topic right now, um, is out out of Brown University, and she says this, it has long been known that there is no single biological measure that unassailably places each and every human into one of two categories, male or female. She's basically looking at science and she says, I look at science and there is no biological evidence for male or female. In other words, we are all part of whatever we want to be. According to her research, identifying sex is fruitless and indeterminate because no stable norm exists to measure male or female. And so we're stuck kind of trying to figure it out as we go along. Often, most often, having to figure it out in adolescence, which is a whole other psychology talk, but we're not going to get into that this morning. In an article in the New York Times, it is stated that basing one's gender based upon biology is oversimplified and often medically meaningless. Identity that was once the same and consistent is now a choice, and we, re- and we just read it in the new dictionary definition that it's now a choice. It, it, it's all being shifted and changed. And what we thought was standard is now being shifted to say our identity that once was solid is now kind of up for grabs. Now, let me just add this in here for you. Just because there, well, we'll get that in a second. We'll get that in a second. Um, we believe that all of these things of identity are really based out of a couple verses in Scripture. Our identity can turn from enemy of God to son or daughter of God. And here's how. Galatians chapter 3, 26 to 28. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And some people will look at this and they'll say, see, male nor female, Greek nor free. That, that, that means there's no identity. There's no way to, to measure any of this stuff. And so even the Bible's backing up our claims that there's no identity which isn't true. He's basically making the point in Galatians that we are one in Jesus Christ, that our identity has shifted. You are no longer who you were. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you are now Jesus. Jesus is in, not in your, oh, Jesus, but Jesus is in you, and you are now being seen as Jesus Christ. You are being seen from the Father as his Son, and Christ in us is this miraculous thing that changes us in who we are. For, uh, Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
We'll see this even clearer in Nicodemus in week five. But for now, our identity is in Christ because our lives are in Christ. He is our identity. He is our sameness. And and we have to start to understand Scripture so that we can have conversations with the world. And as we have conversations with the world about this identity, this issue of identity, this is a side topic. This is a rabbit trail for me. So just stick here a second. As we have conversations in the world about identity, okay, can, can I just offer, as good Christian believers, can we please... Please, please, can we be human in how we handle other humans? Can we have some humanity in how we defend our faith? One uh, pastor I love said it like this, just because the gospel is offensive doesn't mean you have to be offensive in how you deliver the gospel. And I believe that is so true because we, we, we want to defend it. We think it's awkward and we think it's weird and we think it's, you know, oh, I don't understand it. And then things we don't understand, we kind of run from. I'm not, I'm not saying we embrace it. I'm saying you have dialogue and treating them as a human being. And we look at them as Christ would look at them. And we say, I want to explain a better way. I want to explain the identity, how it can be changed and not have to be up for grabs anymore. But your identity can be found in Jesus Christ and he can, he can do it. I'm telling you, it's up to Jesus and him alone. And we defend the gospel and we let the gospel be offensive for us. And we let the gospel, as one pastor said, defend itself. He says the gospel or the Bible is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. It's going to defend itself. All you got to do is open the cage and that thing's going to go out and do its deal, right? The gospel is the same. We don't need to defend the gospel. The gospel can defend itself. The gospel is offensive in and of itself. That there is only one way to Jesus and it is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's offensive to most people. We just have to deliver it as a human being to a human being and say, I love you in the love of Christ and I want the best for you. That's a side tangent. I know when we talk about identity, but I wanted to say it out loud because I think we can sometimes, in in our fear, we can say some things that maybe aren't the best things to say. So the disciples, going back to them, their identity was changed, it shifted. It now became those who lost their identity of, of an enemy of God have now become friends of God. And this is true for us today. When we are asked to follow Jesus, he is asking you to die to your old life and surrender to the new life. While identity changes, personality stays and remains the same. Your personality is you. It is what God put in you from the beginning of time. It's what David says in Psalm 139 about being fearfully and wonderfully made, about knowing the days of your birth. That personality is who you are. And he's calling us, as he called the disciples, with our personalities to make a difference in the world. So let me kind of walk through these disciples and their personalities briefly with you, and then I'll give you a challenge for small groups this week. Um, Personalities of 12. First off, we have Peter, right? And his personality, as many of you know, is quick to speak. Uh, Somebody has said his his mouth was shaped like a foot because it just fit every single time. Um, Peter was always the one to speak. He was always the one to be the first to be in on action. The dude had passion. He's the the dude in your small group who you're like, just calm down, bro. Calm down, right? I know you love Jesus, but we just need to calm it down, okay? It's Wednesday, and we don't have... It's not life is all that great, you know what I mean? And we don't need to tackle it in the next five minutes. We just need to... Take it down a notch. Okay, Peter was kind of that guy. And the disciples, he was like, let's just go. Let's do it now. And all of you are dumb if you don't believe me. Let's go. Let's take the hill. And that's just Peter. So you need that kind of personality. James was passionate. 
Uh, James was brother of John. Many believe that he was uh, one of the most passionate ones who would just believe and have a heart and belief in a system that was just passionate what he believed in. And then you have John. Oh, I, I've kind of termed him the burly hugger, right? Who was a kind of bigger dude. I'm thinking these guys are called Sons of Thunder is for a reason, right? And he's this dude that was just big and burly, but man, he just loved to hug you. And the kind of the hug that just kind of broke you, right? Uh, in South Chicago, there was a pastor like that that I know. And uh, he, when I went to his church, he was like that. His name was Pastor Ford. And when Pastor Ford grabbed you, it was like a lineman grabbed you. And you're like, <laughs> I love Jesus too, but I want to go. Because he just, just crushed you. Because he's just a huge dude. And, and it was, anyway, that was him. John, kind of thinking of the idea, same kind of deal. Um, he was the one that was reclining on Jesus' chest. He just really was, was this really passionate guy as well as, as his brother James. Andrew... Interesting enough, who was brother of Peter, uh, enjoyed the simple stuff. And the reason I say that is because there's not much mentioned about him. And when there is things mentioned, it's really more of like who he brought to Jesus. Andrew actually brought Peter. Peter didn't find Jesus. Andrew actually went and told Peter, and Peter followed his brother Andrew. So let's give Andrew more of the credit than Peter here, because Andrew's the one that actually went and told Peter, hey, this is, this is the Son of God. You need to come. And so Andrew was kind of the one who enjoyed the simple. Um, which is kind of interesting, too, in the fact that um, when you look at all these lists, by the way, um, Peter's always first uh, in every single list. Judas is always last. And there's even some commonality between who's always fifth and who's always ninth. So it's kind of interesting. Anyway, um, but John the Burly Hugger, Andrew the Enjoy the Symbol, and they're all kind of listed in fours, which is kind of interesting, too. So these were all brothers. Oh, go back, sorry. Peter and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers. So those were all brothers. Those were all, they knew it, not all four brothers, but James and John were brothers, Peter and Andrew were brothers, and then they had fishing in common and that whole thing. Okay. Philip uh, was the bean counter of the group, and uh, we see this probably most often in the feeding of the 5,000. Um, he's doing the math. He's calculating the risk analysis on what it's going to take to feed all these people and the fact that it can't be done. Uh, Philip is kind of that guy. Um, that we, that's really the only thing we really know about Philip. Nathan, also known as Bartholomew, was pure and set apart. Jesus called him the one who was pure and the one who was nothing, there was blamelessness in him kind of idea. So Nathan was kind of this, we think, kind of pure and set apart guy who was, you know, the guy in the group that you're kind of like, man, that guy always has it together. That guy always just seems to like know the right answers. And he's kind of that guy. Matthew was a tax collector. He was the outsider, obviously, because he was an enemy of Jews and also a friend of Rome, and that made him very much an outsider. Plus, uh, whenever money's involved, uh, you kind of don't like those guys that just feel a little slimy when it deals with money. You know what I mean? The guy who you're like, I don't want to trust my 501 uh, or my 401 to him. I don't want to trust any of my finances to them because they just seem like they're just in it to make a buck. That was Matthew. Uh, Matthew was changed by God. And then not only that, I would have loved to have seen the interaction between Matthew after he gets saved and Nathan the pure when Matthew says to Jesus and his disciples, Hey guys, I'm going to have a party and all my tax friends, all my tax people are coming over to this great party. It's going to be awesome. We're going to blow the roof off. It's going to be great, right? And she's like, I'm in. Let's go to this party. This is going to be a great party. I can almost imagine Nathan being like, mm, let's not though. I'll be over here with my water. Uh, and so Matthew was kind of that guy who was kind of changing things. Thomas was the skeptical twin. He had a twin brother uh, that not many people know about. But anyway, Thomas was, we know, kind of the skeptical one. But at the same time, there was some really big moments for Thomas. And then you get into um, James, who was believed to be the youngest uh, son of Altheist. Um, many would even say, there are some commentators would even say there are some disciples that were even as young as their teen years when they started to follow Jesus, which is kind of fun. Um, so you could be in high school and following Jesus, and that could be really awesome as being one of the disciples. But anyway, James was said to be very, very young, uh, one of the youngest to follow 
um, Jesus at that time. Judas, this is the fun one. <laughs> Judas, the good one, okay, uh, not the one who betrays, but Judas, the good one, is the one with three different names, Thaddeus, Labius, and Judas. And so we don't really understand all the nicknames of why he had three different nicknames, but if you look at the different lists and you wonder why, there's, where's Judas? You're like, even in Mark, you're like looking, okay, I'm looking, there's Thomas, there's James, there's Simon. I don't see another Judas in here. It's actually Thaddeus. And so he had these three kind of names and the nickname was there, um, just kind of, I don't know what that tells about a person, that they have all these nicknames, but probably he was a really good guy. You know what I mean? Really fun to hang around. You know what I mean? That he had those kind of nicknames. Um, Simon was the activist, um, also known as the zealot. And then you had Judas, a betrayer. And I would imagine that Simon and Judas got together and they hung out a lot. Uh, Simon, because he wanted to overthrow Rome at any cost, who always had weapons around him probably at some point to take over Rome. And Judas, who was just squirrely enough because he was going to betray Christ anyway. So I would imagine Simon and Judas kind of got along really, really well in the weird corners of the room. Um, but those were the different personalities of the disciples. And when you look at those 12 personalities, you're like, man, oh man, you've got one guy who's like this big activist, right? Who's willing to take out anybody and everybody for the sake of the country, right? To, to which most people in the news would be like, oh, that's that guy. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the disciples. That's kind of fun. And then you have Max, Ma- Matthew, the tax collector, this guy who's just slimy and weaselly and turned his life around. But there could be probably so many people that looked at his life and be like, yeah, that's really convenient that he would turn his life around and now follow the son of God and, you know, must be nice. I'm sure there was tons of things said about them, but their personalities always remain the same, which is really unique. And I think the same is true for us today. The uniqueness of you, that Christ has made you with your own personality and shaped you in a way to put you in a church like this for such a time as this. I truly believe that God has shaped your personality for Community Bible Church, and we need every single personality here. We need every single personality as we move forward as a church, and we need every single one of those to be known. And so here's what I thought we would do this week. This is kind of where we're going to end uh, this morning. Um, I thought it'd be kind of fun this week to actually just take some personality stuff. And if some of you guys, let me just kind of, well, okay. So there's two camps in personality stuff, right? There's some in the camp that are like, I find this really interesting and intriguing. Others of you, you're over here and you're like, that is so stupid. That is such a waste of my time. I don't need to know your personality. I don't need to know why you're wired. I just need to know who you are and what you're doing in the moment. And I don't really care how you're wired. And I really, I think a lot of that personality stuff is a bunch of weird science stuff anyway. And I don't need to know that. I just, okay, so there's two camps, and I get you, okay, this morning. I land on this side of the camp, so I think you're aware of that. But just so you know, I land on this side of the camp. I love it. I just cannot get enough of it. Like, personality traits are so intriguing. I love getting to know the person and being like, that's why you do that thing you do. That's amazing. And they're like, yeah, it's kind of my personality. It's kind of bent. And, and, and then vice versa, that you would get to know my personality. You're like, oh, that's why he's the way he is somewhat. Um, and so you can understand each other a little better. And so, so I get it, either side. But here's what I would like to do in community groups this week, and it's nothing you're going to do this morning. It's just a challenge for you. There are a couple different things you can do. One is called the 16 personality test, and this is one you've maybe taken for a job interview or something like that. It's a really simple online free test. You just basically take the personality test, and it kind of tells you who you are um, and kind of gives you kind of some markers about kind of your personality, right? 
Um, the other one that's been a big movement for the last probably, it's probably been around for the last five or six years as kind of a larger kind of name and recognition. Um, but we haven't talked much about it because it, this kind of personality test, like you have the diehards who are like, that is the only personality test that ever exists and it's the most biblical way of doing it. And if you don't believe in it, then you, you know, just go back to your 16 personalities, okay? Um, and then there's others over here that look at the next personality test and they're like, it's of the devil, it's horrible, like nobody should know that much about you and I don't know how you're getting these wing things in there, okay? So both camps, again, are part of this personality. I'm going to land here, okay? I am not on this side being like, it's, it's like Christ's return, okay? It's not that, but it is helpful to understand, and many of you guys have probably heard this before, but it's called the Enneagram, and this was something that's been, they don't, this is the weird part, they don't really know where this thing started, um, but there's a lot of information about it now, and there's a lot of people that, that do this. You know you know the Enneagram when people start identifying themselves like, hi, I'm Joel, I'm a seven, and you're kind of like, hi, that's weird, okay? But others who are in this system, they'll know, like, they've got it, like, all mapped out. I'm a two, I'm a five, I'm a one, okay? And you're kind of like, well, if you were going on hotness scale, I'm like a ten, two. Uh, but no matter where you land, this is really kind of an informational kind of personality test. And I find it really interesting because it's actually very, very accurate. Um, and I, it's kind of scary how accurate it was after kind of breezing through even just the free online test. And it kind of maps you and kind of tells you kind of your personality and your bent. And so my wife and I took it and others have taken it that I'm, that I'm friends with. And it's just, it's how crazy, how spot on this thing is. And you start talking numbers and then all of a sudden you start talking numbers and you start talking about this like diagram of which one good jets off to this wing and which people that are around you that they rejuvenize you, which people that are around you that drain you. And, and it's this whole thing. And it's just really interesting. So what I thought we'd do is just kind of take some time this week, if, if you have it, to download the app. There's a free online test on there. It just kind of takes you about eight minutes or so to breeze through all the questions, and you kind of just get it, the result at the end. Um, I like it. It's, it's, it's the most convenient as far as the way to take the test. Um, I will ask that you look at another one, though, as well, because I took the one on the app, and it seemed a little oversimplified. It kind of put me as like a one, almost a seven. Sometimes a seven could be a one. And so um, this is an easy one, but there's also one that uh, we can shoot out to you guys, the community group leaders, and we can even put on the website or whatever. It's just a a more thorough one, but it's also a free one. And then they also, obviously, they have the money-making one, which is a lot of money. Uh, And then they send you this whole PDF packet, which a friend of mine took, and he got the whole PDF packet, and it tells you, like, your best profession that you'd be striving in as your job and, and what front, and it was just really crazy. So it goes a little extreme on both ends. But all that to say, those are the personalities who God's wired you to be. We just thought it'd be kind of interesting to have those discussions at groups this week and, and start to have those conversations about my personality. I'm like, oh, that's why you are the way you are. Huh, that's interesting, right? And, and, and things that you probably get offended with about other people, like, it's offended because it's not your personality. It's not the way you do it. And so you're kind of like, oh, that's why. I don't like that. Or, so it is interesting. It's interesting. So just kind of thought it'd be fun. As we talk about disciples, their identity changed in Jesus Christ. Your identity changes in Jesus Christ. And secondly, our personalities, I believe, are always there. I believe our personalities will be perfected when we get to heaven, and we get glimpses of it here on earth. But even our spouse and our best friends, we see glimpses of the best they could be. When they get to heaven, it's going to be awesome because we get new bodies and it's going to be awesome, and, and it's going to be walking, and it's going to be great. But it's all going to be our same sanctified. It's going to be ourselves, but it's going to be our best selves. And I really feel like it's going to be Christ in us fully, right? Which you can't even imagine. But I truly believe our personalities are going to continue to go with us as we, as we exit this world. And I think we're going to know each other well when we get into heaven as part of that process. So 
Just something fun to do this week as personalities ought to be good. And again, just a reminder that we need every personality here, especially at Community Bible Church as we look forward even on our year four um, as a church. So, good? Okay.